Well, listen, there is certainly joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, although he was crucified on the cross, he rose again from the dead, and he is alive today forever and evermore. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. He said, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we have been given freedom through Jesus Christ. The grave has been shattered. The shackles have been removed all through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Let's give him some praise this morning. Amen. If you're a guest with us this morning in person or you're online visiting for the first time, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you have chosen to spend this special day with us, and uh, we just want to welcome you and thank you for coming. What an honor it is to have you here this morning. We are here to elevate and celebrate our Lord, our Father, our, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our triune God this morning. If you have a Bible, open up with me to two places this morning, Revelation chapter 1 in Mark chapter 16. We're gonna begin in Revelation 1, so if you can just flip there and we'll make our way to Mark 16. You have some time on that. But Revelation 1, Mark 16, we've been studying the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings. And this morning, I want to draw your attention, those of you who have been with us, back to the very first chapter. When John has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, perhaps what is the most impactful thing that he can say, because if he doesn't say this statement, if this statement is not true, none of the rest of the book of Revelation matters. This is the pinnacle of the book of Revelation for us as believers. So we find ourselves in Revelation chapter one. Stand with me once you're there. I'm gonna have you, we're gonna read our text together. Revelation chapter one, if you're able, that is, stand with us. Revelation chapter one, Beginning in verse 17, the apostle John's writing says, when I saw him, I saw, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And for the powerful truth that is Jesus proclaiming here to John and to us this morning, that although he did certainly die, he did also raise again from the dead. And in so doing, conquering sin and death, he has the keys to death in Hades this morning. And we know, Lord, that you want to set us free and keep us free. That's why Jesus has come. So we pray, Father, this morning that you help us understand the resurrection and what it means for us individually, that you would speak directly into our hearts, that you would shine the light into the dark places, and that you would just bring healing and bring uh, just whatever it is that we need this morning, that you would meet us here today in this resurrection day as we celebrate what you've done for us nearly 2,000 years ago. So we ask you to come and teach us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm calling this message, Counting Jesus Out. Counting Jesus Out. Nearly 2,000 years ago, 
uh, when Jesus was crucified on the cross and he was buried in a borrowed tomb, everyone, and I mean everyone, counted him out. Not a single person had expectations of seeing Jesus Christ raised again on the third day just like he said he would. This wasn't on the radar of any of his followers, including that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Not a single one of them was rushing down to the tomb that Sunday morning to see Jesus Christ alive. Every single person counted Jesus out that day. Death was Goliath. The disciples were the, the soldiers of Israel, and David was nowhere to be found on this day. They had already made up their minds that death had the last say regarding Jesus. They had counted him out. With what a major underestimation of the Son of God and God the Son. Have you ever done that before, underestimated somebody? Man, let me tell you a story. When I was... Uh, around 17 or 18 years old, lost as can be. Jesus, not even on my radar at this point. It was a Friday night. My buddies and I were out driving around in an area of town where all the kids hang out. We were uh, drinking some beverages we shouldn't have been drinking, and uh, we drove past a couple dudes standing in the Hardy's parking lot. They were just minding their own business. Well, I was feeling feisty, so I decided... Uh, to ask my buddies a question. Did you see the way that those guys looked at me? Now, word of advice, if you're a young person in here, if you're old, then you should have already learned this. Never ask your buddies a question like this, ever. Don't ever do it. They will end up getting all riled up and you will end up getting in trouble. So my buddies were like, well, yeah, you're going to let them get away with that? And at that point, I knew I was stuck. I had to do something, so I'm like, stop the car. <laughs> and we rolled out of this car, all five of us, like we were from the circus or something. We get out of the car, and I'm all up in this dude's business, in his face, and I'm like, I'm saying to him, what are you looking at, man? Why are you looking at me? You look at me funny, and... Mind you, he was cross-eyed, but that's beside the point. That has nothing to do with the story. But, but, but it ended up, I was in his face, and I should have taken a clue by his reaction when he stood by his car like the fawns. The entire time I'm in his face with my all kinds of crazy antics and stuff, the dude is just stone cold, doesn't flinch or anything. I should have clued in and got in my car at that point, but I did not. Uh, at this point, I realized like, okay, now I've got to take this to another level. So I do what any reasonable man would do in this situation. I throw the biggest haymaker that I can throw at a guy aiming right directly square at the nose and I completely missed him. Now, here's the thing is he didn't move. I know that surprises you, but the guy didn't move. So here I am following through, realizing like, uh-oh, I back up, I start showing him my fancy footwork like I'm Sugar Ray Leonard or something like that. And this guy proceeds to unzip his jacket at this point. And, and so I'm ready to engage and tangle with this dude. And he exposes something that I had highly underestimated. This dude had the biggest biceps I have ever seen in my life. He rivaled Brian Atkins. I, he was here at first service. I said, dude, Brian Atkins' arms are 
puny compared to this dude's, and Brian's got big arms, but, but the reality of it was, man, I turned and looked at my buddy's faces, and their eyes were like saucers, <laughs> and here I am. Uh-oh, I know I'm in trouble at this point. I had underestimated this dude. The reality of it was that I didn't know what was under the jacket. Had I known what was under the jacket, I promise you I wouldn't have gotten out of the car. I promise you this whole thing would have gone down differently. I would have probably bought this guy a meal and said, dude, you got big arms. Here, here's a meal. Can we hang out? Uh, I want to be this guy's buddy. That's not the way it went down. I underestimated him. My buddies then began to profusely apologize to this guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And everybody's scared. And, and now everybody's trying to apologize so this guy doesn't rearrange my face. They interceded on my behalf. The moral of the story is never try to punch a guy in a jacket, right? Because you never know what's underneath it. Not really. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is, is you know, don't underestimate a person, particularly Jesus, before, based on what you can see. Don't under, underestimate somebody based on what you can see with your eyes. There's always more than meets the eye, folks. God is always up to something. Maybe you're here this morning and you're distraught and you're discouraged and you're in a situation where, uh, you know, you're like the disciples on Good Friday. All hope is lost. You don't think there's any way that God can, can uh, you know, do anything in your situation. Let me tell you something. Don't count Jesus out. Don't count him out. What the disciples were missing, what they could not see was that hidden behind the crucifixion, folks, was the resurrection. They weren't able to see that. It was clothed for them, although that Jesus told them multiple times that he would rise again from the dead. They weren't able to see beyond the cross. But Sunday was coming. The resurrection was right around the corner. All they had to do is press in and hold on to Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to press in and hold on to the Lord not allow your circumstances to overwhelm you. Do not underestimate what the Lord can do in your circumstance. He can do anything. And my prayer is this morning that our faith is built up to such a degree that maybe the situation we're in or the situation we're gonna encounter next week or next month or next year that we will not underestimate Jesus that we will press in and we will trust him and we will believe that he truly is the son of God and that he can do anything. If he conquered sin and death on your behalf, your problems are mighty small in his eyes, folks. Amen? There's three things I want to share with you this morning about counting Jesus out in the Easter story through the disciples. Three specific things that we find the disciples doing on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. The first thing that I wanna show you relating to counting Jesus out is fear will always be present when you're counting Jesus out. Fear will always be present when you're counting Jesus out. The disciples' response to the cross was fear, not faith. It was fear, not faith. They had no hopes at all of seeing Jesus raised again from the dead. They thought everything was over. Hey, that was a great three-year stint that we had with Jesus, but it's all over now. And they responded in fear. 
The Bible reminds us that fear, improper fear, is a snare. It will entrap you. It will shackle you. It will lock you up, and it will make you immobile. It will make you immobile and not able to, you know, walk through the situation you're going through. It'll seize you up. Anybody ever experienced that before? Fear seize you up. You're not able to really walk through your situation. There is a proper fear. And the proper fear is to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And we fear God, but we don't fear our circumstances because God is the God of our circumstances. And so we trust the Lord. The, the disciples were seized with fear, which led them to trust in themselves and not in God. At this point, what they were trying to do was stay alive. They were hiding, and they were fearful, and they were just thinking about themselves. And that's what happens when we become fearful. The disciples had been given the truth by Jesus directly, but fear caused them to doubt everything that he said after he was crucified. They were afraid, and that fear moved them away from God. Sadly, the sentiment didn't change after the resurrection. Sunday morning, after they had heard Jesus rose again from the dead, we find that the Apostle Paul recording for us in John chapter 20, verse 19, this is Sunday evening, people, eyewitnesses have seen Jesus already. Many, all of them have heard that Jesus has risen from the dead, and here's what's going on. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is Sunday night, Jesus rose again from the dead Sunday morning, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, if you're them and you hear that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead on Sunday morning, are you locked up and afraid of the Jews? Jesus Christ just rose again from the dead. You are if you're walking in fear. You are if you're unbelieving. And that's exactly where these guys were. Jesus appears to them while they're gathered there. Not everybody was there. We'll see here in a moment. Thomas wasn't at this gathering this Sunday evening. And Jesus pops in and he says to them, I realize, this is my sum summary of it, by the way. This isn't his exact words. He says, peace be with you. But realizing where they are, they're afraid. They're scared. They're not sure if he really did raise again from the dead. They're not sure if they're seeing a ghost or if they're seeing Jesus at this point. And, and Jesus says, peace be still. And then he, it says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is when the church was born, folks. The church was born in John chapter 20, verse 21, when, they, when Jesus blew the same breath of life that he breathed into Adam, the same breath that he breathed into them. They were born again in that moment. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're sealed with the Spirit of God. It's, it's a guarantee, it's a promise that we belong to the Lord. It's his seal. In this moment, these guys receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they're born again. <laughs> but they're still, they're still walking in fear. They're still not, that, that goes to show you as a believer that it's possible to fully believe in Jesus but still stumble in fear. And it's sin, by the way. This is sinful, the way that they are responding. So John goes on to say in verse 20, John 20, verse 26 through 28, eight days later, 
They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They've seen Jesus with their own eyes in the upper room. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Why do you say that? Because they're still unrest there. They're still fearful. They still got the door locked. They're not trusting the Lord. They're not trusting in, in the information that God has given them. They're not trusting in his word and even the things that he's seen. So Jesus pops in and he says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The disciples were walking in fear. They, came to, they had an encounter with Jesus. They had the information, and yet they were still in this place of fear. Thomas was now present with them in this moment, and he gets to have an eyewitness account with Jesus, and it changes his life. Here's the interesting thing about it is Jesus tells him, oh, are you gonna believe because you've seen Thomas? Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed, who have not seen and yet believed. Do you know who Jesus is talking about here, right? He's talking about you and me. He's talking about anyone who wasn't present in that situation who is believing in Jesus Christ even to this day. He, he, he's talking about you and I. Are you in the scriptures? You certainly are right here. He was thinking about you. Fear will always lead us to count Jesus out, folks. Not only fear, but secondly, doubt will also always lead us to count Jesus out. When we think about Thomas, his name is what? Doubting what? Doubting Thomas. <laughs> you were supposed to say doubting. I was supposed to say Thomas, but that didn't work. But doubting Thomas, right? We, we, we call him doubting Thomas. When somebody is in a situation, they have no faith, we call them doubting Thomases, right? You're being, why are you doubting? It's interesting. It's kind of unfair, because as I read the account here, Thomas wasn't the only one doubting. Every one of these guys were doubting. Every single one of these disciples, eight days later, eyewitness accounts were still doubting. They're not sure. You know, Thomas gets a bad rap here. Here's what I know, that in our doubts, God meets us, and he reveals what we need to know because he loves us and he wants us to know him. If Peter and John hadn't ran to that tomb and hadn't seen what they saw, they wouldn't have believed. They would not take the account of the women. I'll show you that in a second. Had the two disciples on the road to Emmaus had not had that encounter with Jesus, they would not have believed in the resurrection of Jesus. All the disciples were doubting the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus until they had a personal experience with him. Until they had a personal experience with him, every one of them, like, Dom, like Thomas, had underestimated Jesus. The only difference between Thomas and the rest is that he had a few more people that were eyewitnesses telling him that they had seen Jesus. That's the only difference. 
Some of you may be here this morning uh, and, you're, and you're in the same spot of the disciples or Thomas. And you're saying, man, I don't know if I buy this Jesus rose from the dead stuff. I don't know if I really fully can get my mind wrapped around that. And I would say, listen, that's a reasonable thought. That's a reasonable thought to, to, to question. I don't know if I really buy this stuff. You shouldn't just buy it. You should believe it. You shouldn't just, you know, put your faith in something that you're not sure about. Here's what I know. In my doubts, God makes me sure. God gives me the word that I need. He gives me the circumstance that I need. And we all know it can come in all different shapes and sizes. It doesn't have to be Jesus dropping out of the sky, you know, levitating in front of you. Your, you know, your, your ceiling opens up and there he is and you're like, wow, I knew it, Lord. No, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be so, so subtle, so little. Because the Spirit of God is at work in our lives to lead us into all truth. He wants you to know the truth. God isn't hiding the truth from anybody. Those who want to know the truth, he will be faithful to reveal the truth. And he will speak exactly the way that we need to be spoken to so that we understand. But, but hear this. No matter how, how he, he does that, it will require faith of you. You will have to walk by faith. You will have to actively say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. He won't, he won't ask you to do that blindly, but he will ask you to walk by faith. He will ask you to, you know, you're, you know chances are, uh, I'm, I'm pretty positive, you're not, you're, you haven't seen the risen Jesus Christ. But how many of you are sure that he rose again from the dead? Are you following him blindly in that or, or has the Lord revealed him to you in such a way that you believe that you believe this without a shadow of a doubt? Yeah, because the Lord is faithful to speak to us in our doubts. The Lord loves us. You know, when you have a little child and, and they're doubting things, the thing that you do as a parent is you come alongside them, you reassure them, you start to speak into their life so that they know that they can trust you. And you know what's amazing? Kids are so gullible. They'll believe anything. <laughs> they believe you. So there you go. They believe me. I mean, I'm like, well. But you know what? Actually, it's so interesting. Jesus said, you want to go to heaven, you got to become like a little kid. You got to, at some point, you just got to trust me, man. God will be faithful to speak into your doubt, but you will be required to walk by faith. Thomas was given what he needed in the moment for the Lord to speak into his life. Thomas wasn't refusing to believe in the resurrection, but he was struggling in it. He wasn't understanding. And he, said, and he, and he was asking, you know, I, I'll believe, but here's what I need. And the Lord rescued him. And the Lord spoke right into his doubt. And Thomas then makes this declaration about Jesus. My Lord and my God. This is the equivalent of Peter when he's, Jesus says, I need to wash your feet. And then Peter says, no, Lord, wash all of me at this point. I mean, it clicks so clearly to Thomas in this moment that he gave Jesus everything he had right there. My Lord, here's the keys to my life. And my God, you're my creator. I will do whatever you call me to do. 
God spoke into Thomas's life and God will speak into your life. Here's what I'll say to you. Don't count Jesus out in any of your situations, any circumstances that you have based on your current knowledge base because it's changing. They were processing the resurrection, folks. They were processing it. You know, oftentimes when somebody comes to Christ, it's not at the first, first you know, uh, sharing of the gospel that they give their life to the Lord. It's after some processing. It's after a little bit of time where you get to soak a little bit in the word of God and you get to understand, what does he mean I'm a sinner? What does he mean I need a savior? Who is this Jesus guy? And you start to ask yourself these questions. Now, here's the foolish thing to do is that to, to ask yourself those questions and then never seek the answers. That's negligence. The Lord doesn't want you to be negligent. Those answers exist and he's not afraid of your questions. But you must be willing to, to seek him out, to, see, to, to look for the answers. Listen, the Lord wants uh, to reveal himself to you and your knowledge base may be limited in some way, shape, or form, but you just gotta keep seeking. And he'll show you. He'll reveal, you, reveal things to you. You owe it to yourself to seek out the truth. You owe it to yourself. I remember uh, one of the great uh, apologists in our country, alive today, Josh McDowell. Um, his son, Sean McDowell, is also an apologist now. But when he was 18 years old, he went to his dad. And he sat down and he said, Dad, I don't know if I buy this Jesus stuff. I don't know if I really believe in this Jesus stuff. Here is the, one, of the, you know, one of the most profound apologists in our, in, you know, in our generation here today that's alive, written tons of books on Jesus, got saved because he was trying to prove that Jesus was a myth. He was a law student who decided to do his senior thesis on the fact of why Jesus did, doesn't exist. And he got saved in the process because he was seeking the truth. He was asking himself the right questions and he was willing to seek out truth. And you know, when his son, when his son told him that, he was like, oh son, how can you do this to me? I can't, no, he, you know what he said? He said, son, I'm gonna love you no matter what, but you owe it to yourself to seek out the truth. You seek out the truth and I'm just gonna love you where you are. You see, sometimes the answers that we need don't come from other people. They come from our own seeking. The gospel being shared is, is, is sort of the arrows that the Lord uses to, to try and help us navigate and remind us that he's inserting himself in our life. He loves us and, and all these kinds of things, but it's that seeking out where you come to that place of answering those questions through the Spirit of God, the Lord will lead you to the right answers. You're not afraid of your questions. So if you're here today, you're doubting. You owe it to yourself to not only ask the questions, but then seek out the answer. Well, not only will fear and doubt lead us to count Jesus out, but also unbelief. Flip over with me to Mark chapter 16 real quick. Mark chapter 16. We're gonna read an account on the third day where early 
Sunday morning, these ladies are brave enough to go outside of the, the locked doors and to the tomb with no expectations of seeing Jesus alive, by the way, but they're there to anoint his body. And so they get to the tomb and things were not as they expected. The only faith that they had in this moment was the faith enough to believe that when they got there, somehow the door would be opened for them to be able to anoint Jesus' dead body. Right, so here's the account. Mark chapter 16, beginning verse one. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, or bought spices, so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for, uh, for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified? He is risen. He's not here. See the place where, he, where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they had uh, nothing to, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Luke goes on to give us the insight of what happens after they leave on their, so the, the angel tells them, go tell Peter and these guys. So, let me pick it up in Luke chapter 24, verses 10 through 20, 12. It says, now it was Mar Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman, uh, women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed, listen, to be idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and believing it, and he saw the, or looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So these ladies that went to the tomb to anoint the dead body of Jesus come to the 11 apostles, and they tell them the story that Jesus had risen from the dead, and it says that they thought these words seemed to be idle tale. They thought it was a fantasy. They didn't have any belief in this situation at all. They, they did not believe them. They were immediately met with unbelief when they tried to tell the story. And maybe you've been there. And you've been trying to tell the story about Jesus and you're met with unbelief while you're in good company. So were they. But that doesn't mean that you're supposed to stop sharing the news. Here's what goes, it goes on here. And they... John, John's gospel account tells us that Peter, in this moment, Peter and John ran to the tomb. They got the information. They didn't believe it. But why are they running to the tomb? And it's funny because John's account of the rendition is that he beat Peter to the tomb. He's like, by the way, I beat him. I was there first. I didn't go in. He didn't say because he's afraid. You know how we are when we write about ourselves. You know, we like to elevate a little bit, you know. Now, this is the word of God, but, but so he's, John stops at the tomb. Peter 
does what Peter does and he just barrels into the tomb and he's like, where is he, man? And he, and it, and he tells us that he sees the, 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 the shroud of Jesus folded up like a napkin. In that moment, he knew he, that meant something to Peter. That meant something to Peter in that moment. But John doesn't record and then Peter believes. No, here's what he says. I step into the tomb, I look around, and then I believed. Doesn't say anything about Peter. Peter's like out on his own, but he says, I believed. It's interesting how John does that. So John and, and, and Peter, after coming to that place, you would think that they were fully engaged in believing. They saw an empty tomb, and yet they were not. Sunday night, they're still sitting in a locked room in the upper room waiting on Jesus. You might be here this, this morning and you, something may have encountered you in your life today and you're not able to fully believe in what the Lord's doing, but I'm telling you, he's doing something. You can't see it. He's doing something in your life. You know, what God wants us to do is trust him. He doesn't say, there, there was a line in the song that we just sang here today that, that talked about the idea of even in my fear and doubting, I'm, I'm singing the song of faith, Lord. Even in my fear and doubting, I'm singing the song of faith. And it doesn't mean that we fully comprehend everything, but what it is, what it is, is that we trust the Lord and the word of God. And it tells us Romans 8, 28, for anybody who loves the Lord, man, he's working in your situation. He's gonna work everything out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I don't know about you, but when I encounter some trial or, or tribulation in my life, that's not the first thing I'm thinking about. Oh yeah, Romans 8.28, of course. Sometimes it takes me a little bit to get to Romans 8.28, I don't know about you, but God is faithful to bring me there. When you make him the Lord of your life and you, know, you press in, even when you're processing the, the, the circumstances in your life, God will be faithful to direct, to direct you back. It's interesting as, as this goes on, these guys have all heard eyewitness accounts. They've, they've witnessed the empty tomb and all this stuff. And yet they're still unbelieving. And Jesus rebukes them, actually, for their unbelief in this situation. And the reason why Jesus rebukes them is, A, number one, he's told them three times before he went to the cross that this was gonna happen. Three times Jesus said, I'm gonna be crucified and then on the third day I'm gonna raise again from the dead. It's not that they didn't have the information. It's that they weren't trusting the Lord, right? Then they had the eyewitness accounts of people that were coming back and saying, yeah, we saw the Lord. And yet they weren't trusting in that. And so, so then at some point, Jesus, Mark chapter 16 in verse 14, it says afterward, I don't know how long ago this after this point where this was, but he says afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Not only will God bring what you need in the moment to get you over your fear, not only will he bring you to a place of being able to overcome your doubt, but he will also give you the information to overcome your unbelief. He's given these guys all that they need to know. 
and they're still unbelieving. But God doesn't give up on them. Isn't that interesting? Jesus still continues to pursue these guys and show them just like he is you. Just like he did you at one point when you were unbelieving. How many times did the gospel have to be shared with you before you actually received it for yourself? Did you have to experience life a little bit in order to really fully believe that God says, listen, there's nothing good out there for you, but what, what you need is me, and I'm, I've got the plan. I don't know about you, but I made a lot of mistakes thinking that I knew better. I, it wasn't a lack of information. I didn't grow up going to church either, but I had tons of people share the gospel with me over my teenage years and my early, adu- early adulthood and I end up getting saved when I was 24. God had been inserting the gospel in my life as I look back after I got saved so many times, but I was unbelieving. And here's the danger of that, folks, is that you can hear the gospel over and over and over again, and you can start to become hardened to it, to the greatest news ever, that God sent his son into the world to to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be saved and reconciled to him. It's a message that you would think that people would embrace. And yet, the Bible says that it's, it's really foolishness to people. It's foolishness to the Greek. It's a stumbling block to the Jew. Jesus is a problem for people. And he was a problem in your life at one point until you were willing to believe in what, what he said. And he led you down a path of him inserting himself in your life and speaking into your life and revealing himself to you until you decided to make that decision. He, gave you, he, he, he led you to water, but he will not make you drink. You have to believe, but he's given us the ability to do that. Jesus rebukes his disciples because He's given them everything that they need and they're, they're still not following him. And, and these are the guys that are gonna start the church. I think something incredibly, uh, I think something incredible happened in this moment that something clicked in these guys. Because do you know that we're sitting here today as a result of these 11 dudes? Listen, if, if they would have remained unbelieving and hard-hearted, I can't say what would have happened. God's plan is God's plan and he would have figured it out, but, but they didn't. They came to a place where they received the rebuke from the Lord and they believed in him and they started walking in faithfulness to him and they overcame that unbelief. Why, on their own? No, through the Lord, through the Lord. The Lord is faithful to give you what you need in your fear, in your doubt, and in your unbelief. So let's wrap this all up and let's talk for just a moment about what does the resurrection mean for me today? What does it mean for me? It's great that Jesus rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago and we all get together and there's so much energy on this day and all this kind of stuff, uh, but what does it mean for me? It means life for you. It means an opportunity to live forever for you personally. That's what it means. Jesus, when he said in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, at a funeral, the funeral of a man that he loved very much, Lazarus, and his 
his sisters, Mary and Martha, he loved very much. And in this moment, Martha and Mary are kind of upset with Jesus because they came to him earlier and told him that their brother was sick, but Jesus waited. Jesus didn't come immediately. Even if he would have, he would have been dead, but Jesus held off coming for a specific reason, so that he would be glorified, it says. And Mary and Martha come to Jesus, and and Mary, whom is a worshiper of the Lord, who is the model of who we ought to be. She, it says she wanted to be at the feet of Jesus all the time. She said, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. She was upset with him. And Jesus wasn't afraid of her anger or her, her questioning or anything like that. And then Martha w- was sorrowful and Jesus said these words to these two ladies who were just, just broken. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus said, I know you're angry and I know you're broken and I know you're sorrowful in this moment. But I'm telling you that this is momentary. This is momentary. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is pointing everybody to himself in this situation. And he says, there is no other way. We're all eternal beings and we'll all live in eternity forever. The question is, where will you live? There's only two places. There's heaven and there's hell. And you might think like, well, how would a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't send people to hell. That's the beautiful thing about it. People choose to go there. God extends his hand of grace to people. He, he loves people so much. He loves any and everyone so much, more than the, the worst person in the world he loves. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. God loves us in the midst of our darkest moments as much as he does in in the midst of our greatest moments, folks. He loves you, and he wants you to live with him forever, but the reality of it is, if you reject the gospel, there is an alternative, and it is eternal damnation from him. It's not a scare tactic, this is the truth. This is the reality, and it's serious. You know, this life, we have one shot at this life, and we have one decision that we need to make in this life. And the decision revolves around Jesus. What are you gonna do with Jesus? What are you gonna do with Jesus? Why, because he's the only way to the Father. There's only one Savior. So the question this morning is, what are you gonna do with Jesus? Do you believe him? Are you gonna trust in him? If you can press into him this morning, you can give him the keys to your life. He owns the keys of death and Hades and he can bring you into eternity forever with him. And that's his desire for you. Or you can reject him and run the risk of living eternally separated from him. You're not guaranteed tomorrow and you're not guaranteed the next breath, actually. And God has given you an opportunity and the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day you wanna come to know the Lord. Jesus said he was the way. He's the resurrection. 
Not only did he raise again from the dead, but he's promising that you and I too will raise again from the dead just like he did if we'll put our trust in him today. Anybody who believes in me. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. The, the, the question is the same. Do you believe? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. And as they're coming, I just wanna camp out on, a, on one thing this morning. And that is this question, do you believe? You know, I grew up in a very spiritually messed up house. And my dad was a drug addict and my mom was uh, a good mom, but the best you can be in that situation. And, you know, if we're products of our environment, I should be in jail or something. I shouldn't be where I'm at, but the grace of God. And here's the amazing thing about it, is that through my time of growing up and all the different things that we went through, um, God was faithful to bring people into my life to share the gospel with me. Help me to understand you know, that I was a sinner in need of a savior and, and, and that Jesus was the only one. Like I said, we didn't go to church a lot or anything. We, we might, I think I was involved in a children's youth Christmas play. I held the star like one time at my grandma's church or something when I was like four years old. But I heard the gospel over and over again and I did not respond to it. I did not respond to it. And I got to a point where I was just kind of like really in this period of my life uh, really sucked into myself. And, and I realized like, man, you know, I don't know if I, I even believe that God exists. And you know, God didn't take that offensively. What, what ended up happening was I, I, I started going through a series of just ang anxiety and waking up in the middle of the night thinking I was dying and stuff. And it ended up happening that, um, you know, I would wake my wife up, hey, I'm dying again. She's like, go back to sleep, would you? She got to a point where she was like, realized, like, dude, you just need to get over this. I don't understand this. I don't get it. But, but this was the Lord drawing me. He was isolating me for this purpose. And so what ended up happening was uh, I, I woke up one more time in the middle of the night thinking I was not breathing and, oh, man, am I, I'm dying right now. And uh, I, I, I looked over at my wife, and I, I like, I can't wake her up again. So I was by myself. And... It was the very first time that I had really just come to this conclusion like, man, you know, I'm going to die. Like, that is a reality. I will die. And like I was, you know, convincing myself that death was real and that I was going to experience it, but, but there was some ray of hope. I don't know where it came from because my next thought was, yeah, I'm going to die, but... But if, but if I'm going to die, I want to know where I'm going. How did I know there was an eternity and that there was a God that loved me that wanted to do all that? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't in a church service or anything like that. But somehow everything that I have been heard came together in that moment. And I just said, you know what? I need to put my trust in Jesus today. I, I will believe in you, Jesus. And I gave him my life. I don't even remember what I prayed. Probably not the proper prayer because it's not about the words, but it's about the sincerity. Gave him my life. Let me tell you something. 
literally, I woke up, I went to sleep, finally. I woke up a different person, no joke. Totally different, totally different person. God transformed my life. The anxiety and all of that stuff, it didn't immediately go away, but let me tell you something. As I started to just immerse myself in the word of God and, and allow the truth to, to soak in the truth, man, my worries started to become less because God started to become bigger in my life. It, my view of God was increasing and my problems were starting to become, be put into focus because he's way bigger. And do you know eventually my anxiety went away completely. And, you know, I, I don't struggle with that. Why? Because my faith is in Jesus Christ and he, he set me free. And, and I'm just telling you that it, it, it's gonna, it comes down to that point, folks. He's not looking for a response in a church service that is just kind of like, hey, I want to receive Christ and then you go about your business and you don't even think about what you just did. If you come to Christ for real, your life will change. The Son of God gave us the Spirit of God within us. You cannot be the same person you are if you've been born again. You will not be. You won't be a perfect person, but you won't be the same person. So I want to ask you this question. Do you believe this morning? Do you believe Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago inside of a tomb unzipped his burial claws? He did a double biflex pose in front of sin and death and he conquered sin and death on your, your and my behalf. And he did it for you. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and I because he loves us. Here's what I want to say to you today. If you're a believer and you're counting Jesus out, it's because of one of these three things. You're either walking in fear, you're doubting the Lord, or you're unbelieving in what he will do in your life. So you have to respond to him this morning in that way. Do I believe in that way? Do I believe, Lord, that you're big enough to deal with my problems? If you're an unbeliever here today and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna go to heaven if I die. If I walked out of this room tonight and I got in a car wreck and I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. You have a different question to answer this morning. The question is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you ever truly placed your faith in Jesus? If you haven't, May today be the day. This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about, folks. It's about a declaration to you and I that he has paid the price and that the price was paid. The Father accepted it and that we can have life through him. And this morning, if you just press into him, he'll give you that. <laughs>